0: Emotions are part of our lives. They make up who we are and how God wired us to live. Emotions can be our greatest strengths when under control or our worst weaknesses when left unchecked. They can limit our potential and even enslave our lives. With God's help, we can master our emotions and learn to live in emotional freedom. It's God's Word that helps us to keep calm and get a grip. Wasn't this fantastic? Our, our children, our teenagers, did you know this whole orchestra, this is humongous and it was awful. Many teenagers in there that orchestra playing the orchestra pieces. I love this church. <laughs> I just do. I, I just love this church. Today is the one year anniversary of Sugar Creek Siena becoming Sugar Creek Missouri City and moving to our new facility in Missouri City. And it happened a year ago. Yay, God! I got to tell you, it's just absolutely amazing what's happening at Missouri City campus, and we're so grateful to the Lord. It, there's three services, one Saturday night, two Sunday mornings, and um, somewhere around eight to 900 ev- there every Sunday, and it is just absolutely amazing. You see that tiny little building, it's just how do you get eight or 900 people, and uh, God just keeps blessing us. Well, this last week on Friday was Billy Graham's funeral. And for some in this room, you're, you're pretty young and you, that name does not ring any bells for you. Billy Graham, who was that? But, but for 60 years, Billy Graham was really one of the spiritual giants, if not the biggest giant, spiritual giant in America. And God used him to really call this country... To himself over the course of his ministry. And, you know, I'm going through uh, the, the Bible, and I have, I'm sort of ahead of pace, and I've already gone through the section on Samuel, and I was telling Kathy on Friday, I, I just look at Billy Graham as sort of being the Samuel of America over the course of these 60 years years of ministry and now he's in heaven. He's 99 years old, went to be with the Lord and this is one of those times it's really true. he is in a greater place. He is in a greater place. He's, he's back with his wife Ruth. and can you imagine how many people met him at the Pearly Gates? I mean it's just absolutely incredible. God so greatly used Billy Graham. It was Lucy who asked Charlie Brown the question. Charlie Brown, What are you going to be when you grow up? And Charlie Brown said, lonely. It's kind of sad, isn't it? What's loneliness? Loneliness is having two tickets to the movies, but not one person that you can ask to go. Loneliness is going to a brand new school for the very first day where you don't know anybody. Loneliness is your parents coming to you and telling you we're getting a divorce. And as a little child, it seems like your whole world is collapsing. Loneliness is walking into an empty house just after the funeral of your spouse. Loneliness is having a thousand Facebook friends, but not one person you can hang out with. You get the idea, we're going to talk about loneliness today, and it's getting sadder and sadder by the moment, isn't it? We're in a series entitled Get a Grip How to Develop, How to Live Out Emotional Freedom. We really can. We've talked about stress, we've talked about depression, and last week, what an incredible message last week. Pastor Richie on worry. I'm so grateful for the message. He did a great job. And next week, it's Pastor Libin, and he is going to be talking about the subject of regret. All of us have them, don't we? All of us have things we've said and done we wish we wouldn't have said and done, or things that have happened to us that we wish we didn't have happened to us, and we have a sense, in some respects of some things, a sense of regret. How do we deal with it? How do we get on the other side of regret? That's what Pastor Libin is going to be talking about next Sunday. You've got to be here. Now, I know next Sunday is Time Change Sunday, and here is my recommendation to you. I can save so many problems for you. If you will go home after the service today and go and change all your clocks now, this afternoon, man, you're ready for next Sunday. Uh, it might cause a little bit of problems. So hear me tell you what Kathy and I do. Kathy and I, seriously, every Time Change Sunday, when you spring forward, remember? Every Time Change Sunday... We have time change Saturday and we change all the clocks on Saturday morning, and now there you go. And we remember that we changed the clock on Saturday morning, but it, you cannot have the preacher show up an hour late, right? On Sundays, when I have God get that changed, so we want to make sure. And uh, so next Sunday's time change Sunday, be here, be here, and be a part and listen. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get some wise advice about how to deal with the subject of regret. But today I'm talking about loneliness. And there's a passage of Scripture that when we get started, you're going to say, okay, that sounds a little familiar. I remember that passage. But then the deeper you go, you're going to be saying, why Why are you doing this? Why are you reading those verses? Those verses don't even make any sense to me. And here's what I'm asking you to do. You walk with me, even if it doesn't make any sense to you right now, because what? Paul is actually doing is showing us, in the midst of all the words, what it feels like, how you get to loneliness, and how you can come out of it, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. So we begin 2 Timothy chapter four verse six, and listen to what he says: For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight, I've run the race, I've kept the faith. And henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all who love his appearing. Now stop for a moment. How many of you say, I've heard that passage before? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, okay, yeah, I recognize that, sure. Maybe it was at a funeral, and maybe the, the guy who was preaching the funeral preached on that passage or somebody read from that passage. At my dad's funeral, this is a passage that I read uh, from because in my mind, this really summarized my dad in how he lived his life. Yeah, this this is recognizable, but what comes after it? Well, verse 9, do your best to come quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. And it's gone to Thessalonica, and Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia, and only Luke is with me. Now, we're going to keep going as we work through this message all the way to verse 22. And it's going to sound more like 9 to 11 than it does anything else. And the further we go, the more you're going to be wondering, what? Stay with me. It will make sense. Paul, in the passage, is showing us how do you get to loneliness How does this happen, and how can you get out of it? There's really at least three things that causes us to be lonely, to feel loneliness. First of all, it is when we feel trapped. When Paul is writing 2 Timothy, he's actually in prison. He's actually in a jail cell, the Mamertine prison in Rome. I've never been to Rome, though I would love to go there. But it's been excavated, this Mamertine prison, and those who have been there have tell, told me that the Mamertine prison was that prison cell, just rock. It's just made out of rock everywhere. You couldn't get out of there if you wanted to. No matter what you did, you couldn't get out there. And it was a low, it is a low ceiling so that some people cannot even stand up straight the whole time they're in that, that jail cell. And it is dark and dank, cold. There is an air chute that goes up from the middle of each one of the cells all the way through the ceiling and to the open air. And what happens in the winter time is that the, the, the wind, the cold wind, goes right down that tunnel, that shaft and fills that entire and it's rock and it's freezing cold, that cell. And when it rains, the rain just goes right through and there is not one thing you can do, there is not one way you can stop it. It is cold. It's dank. It's hard. It's rock. It is miserable. And this is where Paul is. This is where he is at when he is writing these words. I got a feeling that when you leave this place, you're probably going to go out to a restaurant, go out to eat or go home and eat and, and go have lunch. And I think the likelihood is not a lot of people are going to leave this place and go to a prison cell. But maybe there is a prison cell even in your freedom that you're living in. Maybe it is the prison walls of grief, maybe of fear, maybe of health issues and you're just feel imprisoned in these health issues or financially or in relationships of your life and you feel like you are trapped and you feel like you're living every day just like Paul did, behind bars, entrapped and lonely. The second thing that causes loneliness that he gives to us in this passage is that we, when we've been betrayed or abandoned and now we feel alone. Listen to what he says, verse 9. That Demas had betrayed him. Verse 9 says that Crescens and Titus have left him. Now they've left him not because they betrayed him, but because he has sent them out on a mission trip. But they're not there, and that's the point he's making. He's alone. You get down to verse 14 that we didn't read, and it says that Alexander has betrayed Paul. This is the apostle Paul for crying out loud. And Alexander betrays him. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever felt abandoned and betrayed? Maybe it's somebody at work or somebody at school or wherever, and it, it always got smiles and, oh, yeah, we're buddies and, yeah, and just everything is so good and nice, but behind your back, knifing you in the back. behind your back to just berating you and belittling you misrepresenting you the people that we're closest to are the people who have more ability to wound us to hurt us when they abandon when they betray it's not fun to be rejected is it it hurts to be rejected And Paul in verse 16 of this passage says, at my first defense, no one, no one came to my support and everyone deserted me. What Paul is talking about in verse 16 is he came to Rome as a prisoner. He was in a prison. He then stood in front of Nero the Caesar. Nero was... Probably the most evil human being on the face of the earth when he lived. He was total evil incarnate. And he stood before Nero. And at the worst moment of his life, the worst time that he ever had, having to defend himself against with uh, crimes that were not crimes at all. All he had done is preach the gospel. And that's why he's in front of Nero. And nobody stands with him. Nobody stands with him. To make matters worse, he says in verse 21 that winter is coming. He says in verse 21 to Timothy, he's writing this book to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, do your best to get here before winter. I need you to come, Timothy, and, and you got to hurry because you don't want to wait too long. Get here before winter. Why? Because... Almost everyone who lived in the Roman Empire that went to Rome had to go to Rome by ship. And the Mediterranean Sea was a horrible place during the winter. It seems as though that on the Mediterranean Sea, during the winter, storms pop out of nowhere, violent storms. And these are small ships. These ships couldn't handle that kind of episode. And so many of them would sink. So the only people that would get on a ship in the Mediterranean Sea, in the winter, were crazy people. Nobody else is going to get in the ship, go in the Mediterranean Ocean in the first century in the winter. And he says, look, don't miss it. Do not wait too long. Don't make me wait another six months until winter's over. Please, Timothy, I need you. There's a third thing that creates loneliness we're trapped, we're abandoned, and the third is that our lives are threatened. And this is what the verses 6 and 7 are about when he says, I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. And he goes on to say he'd fought a good fight. He knows what's going to happen. The time of my departure is at, at hand. He's not talking about I'm, I'm almost going to get out of prison very quickly. It's going to be any day. He's not talking about that. He already knows he has a death sentence. He's already stood before Nero. He knows he's on death row. He knows the clock is ticking. The time of my departure is coming. He's going to be beheaded, and indeed he was, by Nero. We all know in this room that we're all going to die and I didn't have to remind us of that today, did I? We're all going to die. And so if you were asked the question, well, when when you die, how would you like to die since it's going to happen? And probably most of the people in the room say, oh, "I want to be sound asleep. I want to be in my bed sound asleep. I want to be having a great dream and suddenly there's Jesus. That is how I want to go." Right? I can't imagine anybody in this room saying, "You know what? I, what I really want to have happen is that I, I kind of want to be in prison and I want to be on death row for a while and I want to see the clock sort of coming down and know that I'm going to, and I want, and then I want them to behead me. That, that, that just would answer all the dreams of my life. Oh, man, I don't think so. Have I depressed you enough yet? Are, are you down? Are you, okay, I, I think I've got you right where I need you to be. Why did I do this? Why did I talk about I'm trapped, and, and uh, I be, I, I've been abandoned and rejected, and <sighs> death is coming. They're going to behead me. The reason I've gone through this is because I want you to know the guy who is writing this knows what loneliness feels like even more than you do, a greater sense of loneliness than any loneliness that you and I feel. He's already felt it, and now this is the guy who's going to give us advice. Now, how can you get out of this? And if you're going to listen to anybody, come on, you got to listen to somebody who's experienced and knows what they're talking about, and this guy does. Maybe not all the things he says really connects with you. We're all a little bit different. We all kind of tweak a little differently. But most of it I think will, and I'm going to ask you, take great notes. How do I get out of loneliness? Let's let this guy teach us how. First of all, he teaches us establish a proper balance between reliance upon others and reliance upon God. You remember verse 16? And when I was standing before Nero, maybe the most evil person in the whole world, no one stood with me. There was nobody. I was all alone. But then the next verse, verse 17, look at what it says. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. You and I, if we haven't already, we are headed there. We are going to face situations in our life in which there's nobody that is, that is our friend, no one that is standing with us, human beings, that will stand with us at a key moment in our life. And the only one that we could ever count on in that moment is going to be God himself. And this is why you cannot push God away in your life. And Look, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to have any relationship with God. One day, if I really have problems, maybe I will, but I, I don't have time to do that right now. You're making a desperate mistake. What you need to do is learn who God is and learn to, to, dis, to, to sense the presence of God in your life and learn to hear the voice of God in your heart. You need to learn this through everyday life because then when this moment comes and there is no one coming to your rescue and you are there alone and it is so lonely, it is so hurtful, it is so terrible and then you sense his presence and then you hear his voice and I'm not alone. He gives me power. Don't underestimate this. God gives us promises that He'll be there for us. Listen to what He says in Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, this is God speaking, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze because I'm with you. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you will be ashamed and confounded. You'll look and see where they are, and you can't find them, because the only thing you'll be able to see is my powerful hand right there with you. God has made you this promise. Learn to hear his voice. Learn to to detect his presence. Because one day it's going to be all you have. But you'll discover it's enough. It's enough. Jesus at the end of what we call the Great Commission says, and I am with you always even to the end of the age. And in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't underestimate the importance of this, the value of this. But you've got to nurture this. You've got to have a relationship with him. You've got to be able to sense his presence. You've got to be able to hear his voice. You've got to have a relationship with him. Isn't it possible... That sometimes we ask people to do for us what only God can do for us. I want you to think back in um, the story, you're, the story of, of uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. Remember the story? John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And you remember, Jesus was, and his disciples were going through Samaria. They go into town to get food. Jesus is out there at a well. And this woman, by herself, comes in the heat of the day. And the reason is because the other women don't like her and don't want her to come in the cool of the day. When they come, you go by yourself. So she's coming by herself, trying to draw water, and there's Jesus. And they get in a conversation. And in the midst of the conversation, remember what Jesus asked? He he says, "Uh, would you go get your husband? And she answers, "Uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, now he's never met her before. He's just passing through. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. How did he know that? That's what she was asking. How did he know that? Because he's God in flesh. And why did he say that? I want to tell you why. I think he said it. He said it because he was saying to this woman, there is a need that you have in your life. And no man's going to meet this need. You keep running from one man to another to another to another and to another, and no man is going to meet this need. This need need that you have in your life is for living water. It is for a relationship with God. It is to give you something that no man, no person can give you. But God, I want to give you living water that will satisfy you forever. God coming to live inside of you and giving you meaning and purpose in life, you're not going to get that from somebody else. Stop trying. And that's what Jesus was actually saying to her. Stop trying to get other people to meet your need that no one can actually meet but God. And sometimes we put all kinds of pressure on our family members and all kinds of pressure on our spouse and our friends and other people, trying to get everybody to meet my need, meet my need, when, when only God, there's some needs that only God can meet. Amen. I like having an amen every so often. And is it possible that what you've done, is it possible that you've just sort of given up a deeper walk with God and traded that off for a whole bunch of other stuff, but you need it. You need to hear His voice. You need to sense His presence. Now, in balance to that truth, God also made us social creatures, and we need others, too. There's a family, and they've all gone to bed. Everybody in the house is in bed, and a storm comes through. Boy, we've heard these things. A storm comes through. There's lightning. There's thunder. Crashes of thunder, and there was for this family in this situation, a giant explosion of thunder. It woke everybody up, and immediately the mom and dad heard the pitter t- p- patting, whatever the words. Yeah, the pitter patter, the pitter patter of little Nathan's feet running to their bedroom, and the dad immediately closes his eyes again and pretends he's still asleep, because men are talented at this. In these kinds of moments, it's amazing. It's like it's well, I think it's nature. You just they just immediately close their eyes and act like I didn't hear a thing. Mm-mm. So he closes his eyes. Nathan comes into the room, and his. Mom then says, Nathan, it's okay. I'm scared. You don't have to be scared. It's just thunder. We're in a house. We're protected. Go back to your room. Go to sleep. He didn't budge. So, okay, I need to try something else. Nathan, God is in your bedroom, and he'll be there with you. You just go back to your bedroom. God is right there with you. And Nathan says, Mommy, you go sleep with God. I want to sleep with Daddy. Because sometimes we need somebody with skin on them, right? And God knows that. He created us this way. And Paul needs this. And this is why Paul says, oh, Timothy, please come and and don't, don't... Don't wait, because if you wait too long, winter will come in. You you won't be able to make it. No, come now. And verse 11 says, by the way, bring John Mark with you. I need more company. Why? Because part of our need is for interpersonal relationships. So what's the point? The point is stay balanced. Stay balanced in our expectation of God and the needs He can meet, and our expectations of others and the needs they can meet. And and go to God. God help me to stay balanced. I don't want to put pressure on people to meet, try to meet my needs that only you can meet. And God, I understand I need friends. And Lord, I'm struggling with this issue of friendship. And I need right friends. I need the right friends in my life. Help me to build right relationships. It is a balance. Finding the balance is the first answer. Second, even when we're lonely, make it a point to keep growing in our personal life. When I read this verse, this is going to be the moment you say, okay, keep going. Don't stop here. Verse 13, 2 Timothy chapter 4, when you come, bring a cloak, The bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and a especially my parchments. You say, okay, that didn't tell us anything. Oh, it told us a ton. The cloak is his coat, and it's his coat. This coat he may have had for a long time. He had this coat in the winter in Ephesus, and he had it in Corinth, and he had it in Philippi. Haven't you had things, objects, and animate objects that over time came to mean more than they were. It's Okay, it's a coat, but that's my coat. I've got so many memories connected to the coat. That, that is my thing. I've got so many memories connected with that object. We are emotional people. We, we, we aren't robots, and so we, we, ha- we get attached to certain things. Why? Because they create memories and comfort to our life beyond themselves. Sometimes something familiar can give you a boost even if it's just a coat because of the good memories it invokes. Now sometimes for us maybe that's pictures, maybe it's videos. Why do we take pictures? You've got like a billion pictures all stashed places and in your computer. Why do we take pictures? We take pictures because we want to go back and remember and relive the moment, the special moment in our life. We wanna, we wanna go back and experience it. Kathy and I have times in which we go through pictures and, and we're sitting there and there are our boys and they're just small and we're remembering special, special days. And man, it's emotional. Special times. This was part of what's going on with Paul. Bring my coat. I know it's just a coat, but I love that coat. And bring the books. We don't know what those are, but bring the parchments, and we do know what those are. Those are the Old Testament Scriptures. Bring the scrolls with you. What is he saying? What is he doing here? Here's what he's doing. He is saying, I'm lonely, I'm in prison, I'm abandoned by others, and I'm on death roll. But I am not going to spend what little time I've got left watching reruns on TV. I'm not going to do it. Besides, it's my understanding that the reception for television in Mammoth Time Prison First Century was not that good, so you couldn't even really see what was what was on the screen. What he is saying is this: I'm lonely but I'm not going to be swallowed up with a pity party. I am not going to sit here just eating ice cream and potato chips and acting like the whole world's come to an end. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep growing and keep learning instead of giving in to my loneliness. And there's a principle that I want you to get down, it's a fill in the blank, and I want you to hear this. Part of overcoming loneliness is to set new goals. Part of how we deal with this moment is to set new goals, new challenges, and keep growing. We were built to be at our happiest when we're learning and growing. There is a a young woman who married this guy, a young guy that had just joined the army, and now they get married, he's a soldier. And right after they got married, wouldn't you know, he got orders to go to uh, a place that is on the edge of the desert in California, and he says to his new bride, yeah, "Don't, you don't come because there's probably not going to be any other wives there. This is a desolate place, and a, don't come. You're going to hate this place." And she said, "I'm not. I didn't get married to you to spend the next year uh, separated from you. So I'm going." So she goes, but nobody, no other of the wives go. And the only place that they can find any place to live is kind of like a little shack in, outside of this little town that is an Indian, North American Indian town. It's the only people there. It is so hot there. It's a desert, it is, it's as hot as Houston. It's that hot. It's that hot. And the wind blew as bad as Oklahoma City. You put both of those together, it's not even fair anymore. It is hot. The wind is blowing. It's just terrible. And as the days click by, she becomes so lonely and so upset, and I'm hating this place. I just, I, I just can't believe I've come here. And wouldn't you know, her husband gets orders to go and maneuvers deeper into the desert and obviously she can't go and maneuvers and so she now is totally alone. She, she writes, emails her mom and says, I'm coming home. And her mom says, emails back and says, you're always welcome. But before you come home, I wish you would stop for a moment and think about this. And her mom included these two lines. Two men looked through the prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. At first she, what? She said, I don't get that at all. But she kept reading it. Two men look through prison bars. One sees mud and the other sees stars. And the more she thinks about it, the more she she realizes what this means and she says, God, I'm so sorry. I've had the worst attitude here. All I see is mud everywhere. All I see is dirt and dust and all I see is desert. But I have never had a heart that was willing to say, God, if you've got more, I'm willing to see it. So God, I'm just telling you, I'm willing to see stars now. She goes into this little Indian village and she starts encountering some of the the ladies there and tries to befriend them at first. They're a little standoffish, who are you? But they begin to realize this poor girl, she's so lonely. And they begin to welcome her and put their arms around her. They begin to teach her things, kind of show her their culture, their way of life and tell her a little bit about their history. She begins to learn how to make things she had never dreamt. She would ever be making just in their culture and all their things that they are a part of. And she begins to learn new skills. And after a while, she begins to see the desert totally differently. It's actually beautiful. I can't believe it. The desert is actually beautiful. She writes home. She says to her mom, I need you to gather up every book on the desert you can find, and I need you to ship them here post-haste. And so her mom does it and sends those books. She begins to read. Every time she's not with these people, she is reading about the desert, and she is learning about the desert, and learning about all the plants in the desert. Then she goes out in the desert, and she sees the plants for herself. She sees what they're made of and how they're fashioned, and she begins to be in awe. And all the little creatures and characters that are out there in in the desert and she begins to study about them and you can't believe this but she was becoming an expert on the desert and totally fell in love with the desert and wrote a book about the desert so what changed it wasn't the desert It was her. It was her attitude. And I got to tell you, I would imagine there's some people in this room right now who maybe you got transferred to Houston, Houston of all places, and you got transferred to Houston and you're saying, could there be any hotter place, any crazier place? In the middle of the summer, here you are, you shut your car off and you open the door and your, your glasses fog up. Where in the world does this happen anywhere else? What crazy place have I moved to? And you, and by the way, you did move to the place that has World Series champion baseball team. So there is some good things here that's going on. But you say, I've gone, to, I've gone to Houston, and I hate this place. And for some in this room, that's the story. That's true. I just hate this place. But the truth is, we could go any place and hate it. And maybe all you see is mud, but what you could see is stars. And I'm asking you to open your eyes. Because here's the bottom line. We're built to be at our happiest when we're learning and growing. And this is a moment. This is an opportunity. Part of overcoming loneliness is to set new goals. So enroll in a Bible study. We got Bible studies galore. We have one billion Bible studies. Enroll in a Bible study here. We take on a hobby. Something that you've always thought, well, maybe I'll do that. Take on a new hobby here. Start learning about this place, this Houston place. It'll become a beautiful place for you if you'll open your eyes and be willing to let it. Here's the deal: keep growing spiritually, keep growing personally. What does the Bible say? It says in Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even where you are right now, would you open your heart and be willing to let God turn this moment in your life, whatever your situation in your life, into a beautiful place? I love that Amen. Here is the third thing. I put down four fingers. Here's the third thing. We have to focus on others. And this is a passage you're going to say, what? Why did you read this? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Meet Priscilla, or greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Oniferous. Erastus stayed at Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. There's that that statement. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, P-U-D-E-N-S. That's the fill in the blank. So do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. And you're asking, why did you read this? Well, there's something important here, but another thing is I wanted you to see the name Putin's. <laughs> I did. I just I wanted you to see the name Putin's. I wanted you to write it down so you'll remember forever. Can I tell you something? I'm so grateful my name is Mark and not Putin's. <sighs> Putin's Hartman has no ring at all to it. It does would not work. And I'm so, mom and dad, thank you so much. You did not name me Putins. And to, uh, to all those in the room, name Putins, my apologies <laughs> to you. I did not know you were going to be here. I didn't know. You're never going to forget the name Putins now. But what's going on? Something's happened in Paul, there's been a switch. <sighs> Let God meet your greatest needs. Keep growing, being challenged. And number three, start focusing on others, not just yourself. Get out of your pity party and start focusing on other people. And the most amazing thing will happen. One of the best ways to deal with loneliness is to refocus our life from ourselves to be a blessing to others. Give yourself away. Look, being a part of a ministry in this church, we need you. We need, you've got so many ministries that are in need of you. We need you to be a part of ministry. Give yourself away. Give yourself away to Second Mile Mission Center and help people that are in a lot worse shape than you are. Be a part of Living Water International. Be a part of helping people in other places in the world or one of our mission trips. Go on one of our mission trips. Give yourself away. What does the Bible say in Luke chapter 6? Give and it shall be given back to you. Give of yourself. And what amazingly happens is, is that when you give yourself to other people that are in need, all of a sudden this need in your life begins to be filled I looked for a friend and there was no one there. I became a friend and friends were everywhere. Here's the last one put our heart on the eternal instead of just the temporary. That's what he's doing, verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. What is he doing? He is saying, and by the way, not only am I learning how to trust God for things that others can't, can't take care of me with and trust God to give me other people in my life that I need, and not. I am also learning how to keep growing and mature maturing and being challenged by the situation I find myself in right now. And I'm starting to think about other people and not just myself. And by the way, God, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I have heaven in front of me. I'm going to stop acting like this is all there is. And I'm with Scott realizing i got heaven ahead of me. God, just take me through, teach me, learn, let me learn, and one day I'm going to see you. And when Paul did these things, it changed his life. And I believe it will change yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming today, being a part of this moment. Now we ask that you would use Your word in the hearts of many today. There's some today, Father, that just, they're never going to get this together until they come to know you as their Savior. And I pray that you would help them today make that decision for Jesus to become their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray for those in this room that know Christ as Savior. Visiting here, there's a sense in the heart, this is my church, that Father, you would use this moment to bring them into the fellowship of this church. Now, Father, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.